Today, Girls on Film looks at the new release of Call Jane, and I talk to actors Elizabeth Banks and Wumi Masaku, as well as director Phyllis Naj, to discuss activism through art. Here's Elizabeth on Call Jane. It's really wonderful when your work coincides yeah. with your values. I think that doesn't happen very often, so to be able to work on something like this feels very special in a way that you know other things just can't by their nature. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith. And today we're celebrating the entertaining and inspiring new film, Call Jane. Call Jane tells the true story of an underground collective of women in 1960s America who helped nearly 12,000 women and girls to have safe abortions in a time when they were illegal. The film is released in the wake of the US Supreme Court overruling the 1973 Roe v. Wade case, which gave every woman in America the right to an abortion in the first trimester. In Call Jane, Elizabeth Banks plays Joy, a housewife who's denied an abortion even though her pregnancy could be life-threatening. She gets involved with the Jane Collective, run by activist Virginia, who's played by Sigourney Weaver. So, um, which one of you is Jane? <laughs> Nobody's Jane. We're all Jane. Virginia started it. Help yourself. Uh, I didn't mean to. A friend called. I found her a safe doctor. And then her friend called, and then her friend's friend, and uh, here we are. During last month's London Film Festival, I was joined by the director, Phyllis Naj, and by the star of the film, Elizabeth Banks. And I also met up with Wumi Masaku a little later. Here are Elizabeth and Phyllis. Well, welcome to Girls on Film, to you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're a feminist film podcast, so obviously we love Call Jane. Um, not just is it a tremendous film, but I love the way women take matters into their own hands yes. in this film. Literally. Um, yeah. Literally, yeah. <laughs> Can I hear from you both about why you were passionate about telling this story? Oh, Phyllis, you go okay. first. Okay. Well, um, I'll admit that when the producer of the film, Robbie Brenner, sent me the script... I called her up and said, really? Did this really happen? <laughs> because we were not aware. I was not aware, and I don't think Elizabeth was aware no. of the Jane Collective, which was a Chicago-based organization that I was from New York, and you were also from the Northeast, no, right? From Massachusetts, yeah. Of course we wouldn't have heard of it, but that's no excuse. We just never taught about any of our, our own heroes, really. Yeah. Um, but what struck me were two things. One, that this is really a film about a group of women, a collective, who took action, as you say, and um, were able to do this without fuss in a way that normalizes um, this sort of routine care, and which I saw the possibility for a light touch in this, which was very important to me. Um, we need to laugh along with the seriousness of, of the subject. It's, in fact, the way it makes it more serious for me. 
I'm glad the way you brought up the tone because that was going to be one of my questions. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important. This film is very accessible and entertaining and thrilling, actually, in parts and funny yeah. as, as well as serious. Is that partly what drew you to it, Elizabeth? Or... Yeah, my character's name is Joy. <laughs> you know, for a reason. Um, I think it's important, too, to present um, this the decision that Joy makes as something that's very positive in her life, right? This was a... There was no real fuss or muss about it. She wanted to live. Um, and then also came to realize that that's how all of the women feel who make this decision. It's about themselves. You know, it's something that they're doing to take control, ownership, and dictate their own lives. Um, and how important that is as human beings, you know, and to feel like you have the you have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness mm -hmm. in your actual own control. And I think... Um, sort of presenting that as something that felt great to Joy and gave her purpose. And then she finds this collective and wants to give that to other women. I'm going to teach you. Anybody who wants to learn. And I'll say as long as it takes to make you as good as anyone can be. I think that's what, that's what really drew me to it. It felt like such an empowering and positive way to present this story. It's wonderful to see women from different backgrounds working together in a common goal. Um, would either of you like to speak to some of the real life examples that inspired this specifically? Sure. I mean, by the time I uh, became attached to this, all of that research had been done, but I did my own reading and sleuthing and really was inspired by the types of women who, who banded together to do this. I would say that I wanted to be sure that we were representing that collective correctly. And it turns out we are. Yeah. I, look, I, in my own personal life, I work with the Center for Reproductive Rights on a creative council, and I've been sort of advocating in this space for a very long time. So I felt like I knew fem women activists who work in this space daily and have devoted their lives to it. And this, to me, was a way to honor the women in my own life who are doing this work right now. I mean, obviously, since you made the film, unfortunately, it's become even more topical and urgent. Um, what power do you think film has to open people's minds to different ways of thinking? I'd like to think it does. Uh, I'd like to think that a film like this, largely through its tone and largely through its rejection of pain and fear in particular ways, can actually shift someone's thought process. Mm -hmm. It's a modest goal. I don't, I don't pretend to have any sort of grand um, belief that any piece of work will change many minds. But just to, maybe I hadn't thought of that. And maybe I, I should. That's right. Yeah. If it inspires more empathy, that's mm -hmm. really what I, that, I think that's what art is meant to do. I know I've been inspired in that way. And I, I would say that's my very modest goal. Just inspire more empathy. Just open your eyes to someone else's experience. I think perhaps you were alluding earlier when you were saying about sort of normalizing. Um, we see quite a lot of procedures from the point of view of either the patient or the sort of quote-unquote doctor. Um, and, it, and it does feel like it strikes a very different tone to other scenes like that that I've seen in films about abortion. Yeah. I mean, I, part of my research was in watching what is now a growing um, genre of abortion films. And what struck me is that there is a modesty about them that actually prevents um, true, understanding. true understanding that there is, there is a, 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 
in the effort not to exoticize this procedure, they do exoticize it. Mm. Or worse, you see people losing babies in public bathrooms, you know, things that I'm sure happen, but, you know. Um, are not the norm. Are not the norm. Yeah. And so in putting together these scenes, I knew it was very important to establish Joy's own procedure as the baseline. This, from this comes everything else and leads us to actually quite a different sort of procedure at the end when Joy starts, kicks off the Jane's reproductive rights. For me, Um, that whole scene was about Joy's bravery. Mm -hmm. She had to be really, really brave. And this is a woman who I don't think has been challenged to be brave in her life very often. And it really inspires a complete and utter transformation, you know, inside of her to have to be that brave. And I think that's how women feel about this, that you really, you have to be a little bit brave in life. And I really like that feeling for her. We could do this. We could do the procedures for free. No, no way, it's too risky. We take on risk every time we answer that phone. No, we minimize risk. We're careful. We pay off the right monsters. You think it's an accident we haven't been busted? You're right. But we are entirely dependent on one man. Well, I know it's had some incredible reactions so far. Has anything stuck out to you both that people have responded to in the film? What? strikes me particularly are the number of young women who have approached me after actually various screenings that I've been to, talking about not their own experiences, but the experiences of their mothers or Mm. um, other relatives or friends, and how the film has led them to appreciate what those people were going through at the time. I, yeah, I think it really, it's part of what I'm seeing as sort of a movement to destigmatize abortion care, you know, in general, like to allow people or invite people to discuss it, to talk about their own experiences, to say, yes, I had an abortion, you know. I think that's really empowering for women right now who have felt like they had to remain silent about something that we are now inviting them to say, no, you can just, your life will be all right. <laughs> you can be brave if you say this happened to you, and it might inspire somebody else to say it. And the more it's discussed and normalized and destigmatized, the more likely it is that that women will retain the access to it that they need. There seems like there's a lot of sisterhood on screen in this film. And um, what was it like off screen? A lot of wonderful women, I presume. Yeah, oh, yeah. So they're just fighting with each other all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Over what yeah. we were going to have for dinner. <laughs> That's about it, yeah. yeah no, it was a, it was a very, uh, when the Janes were together, it was a very um, intense, brief period of time. So that feeling of urgency was there all the time, believe me. It was so collegial, and it was very communal feeling, yeah. and it was everyone was lovely, and we had a great, grand time, honestly. It was just a delight. Sigourney Weaver feels so perfect in this. Can you talk to me about acting with her? Well, I mean, she's one of my idols, and... You know, she was everything I hoped she would be, honestly. Uh, You know, sometimes they say don't meet your heroes, but that was not the case with Sigourney. She really continues to inspire me as sort of a, I think, her work. She is someone who, as an artist, I think, really takes on work that means something to her 
And I, it's very inspiring as an artist to see somebody who, frankly, has been around as long as she has and is still doing the kind of, um, what's the word, like just life-fulfilling work that Sigourney does on, a, on the daily, I think is just so impressive and something that I admire. I have devoted a lot of my life to causes. You name the cause, I was there. Marches, protests, sit-ins, and mostly it was a bunch of guys screaming Marxist theory at each other on the steps of City Hall, drowning all the women out. We did not have a voice. Turns out the rads are bigger pigs than the pigs. Has making this movie changed anything in either of you? Well, I mean, I've been banging this drum for a long time. <laughs> and so I would, I would say that I'm waiting to see how many people it may inspire. That's, that's, I'm, the jury's out for me. But we've been, I mean, both fighting for various forms of rights for women and others for a while. It's really wonderful when your work coincides yeah. with your values. Mm -hmm. I think that doesn't happen very often. So to be able to work on something like this feels very special in a way that you know other things just can't by their nature. And it was different. What, what it changed, there was one thing. We determined on a production level to work with as many heads of departments and female crew uh, as we could. And this does contribute to, not to be cl a cliche about it, but it does contribute to the tone and the atmosphere on a set, yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> Is that your experience too? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to invite um, to the party, you know, as many underrepresented voices as we can. Well, we fully believe in that in Girls on Film. Um, the soundtrack I have to ask you about, because so the soundtrack good. is incredible to this. And some wonderful female singers and female writers. Um, can you talk to me about the choices? Sure. I mean, well, post-production, I don't know about you, but it's always my favorite yes. part. Because so when you get to really make a movie. You get to really make a movie. <laughs> and early on, um, I realized that uh, our music supervisor, Willa Udell, would be able to help with my dream uh, of putting together a soundtrack comprised of tunes by largely by women who we should know more of, and also deep cuts from uh, the catalogs of people like Janice Ian and Nancy Sinatra. Um, but also the use of, um, and the collaboration with Isabella Summers, who did uh, our score to try to integrate it. Sometimes you don't know if you're listening to score or source. Mm. So this was a great joy to introduce mostly these unknown tunes. Oh, well, well, look what the sister dragged in. cookies, thank Christ. Oh, those snickerdoodles? They're not my specialty, but I have a request. Yeah, they re really were gems. I was like, yeah. oh, I've got to write this down. What is this? Song? I think also that that's Phyllis. Is, yeah. You had, Phyllis has, you know, an actual real knowledge of that time period <laughs> yeah. and what, yeah. you know, was on the radio. Yeah. And, and music. Then, yeah, and, yeah. How it shaped yeah. you as an artist. Yeah. yeah. She was, I think you always had a vision for the music. For yeah. This. yeah. Yeah. From Go. Anything else you want to say to the girls on film listeners before I let you go? Oh, keep going, ladies. Yeah. Keep it up. Keep the fight keep up going. The good work. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, and you too. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you so much. My thanks to Elizabeth and Phyllis. Here's Wumi Musaku. 
welcome to Girls on Film. Thanks for having me. Absolutely delighted to have you. A fan of your work and a fan of Cool Jane, of course. Um, Why did you want to be a part of this film? I thought that these women were extraordinary. Um, They really looked after their community. They um, took, I don't know if it's the law, but they took their rights into their own hands and their autonomy into their body autonomy into their own hands. And they did it. What I found extraordinary is that they did it safely. Like they didn't, they didn't lose a woman. And yeah, they gave women their choice back. They gave them their lives back, their dreams, their hopes, and they they gave it to them back. And um, which I thought was just amazing. Community, sisterhood, humanity, like fellowship. It's just all the things that are cherishable, you know. It's an extraordinary story, isn't it? And as you say, it just shows what women can achieve when they put their minds to it and they collaborate and work together. Um, your character's fantastic. Can you, for the listeners who haven't seen the film yet, can you tell us a bit more about her? I play Gwen. She's the only black Jane in the collective. She um, is someone who challenges the group as the only black woman, um, which is never a fun thing to be the only of anything. And um, she challenges them to look at themselves and she holds up a mirror saying, you know, the only people we're helping are people who can afford $600, which is a lot of money, even now, let alone in the 60s. Um, So she challenges them to say, like, economically, we're only helping white people, basically. And black and brown people are being forgotten about. So... um, she enforces that it needs to be black and brown people um, get these free procedures and the people can pay, pay. There is a great scene where Gwen takes Sigourney Weaver's character to task on this. Would you like to talk a little bit about that scene and filming it? That scene was, it was hard. It's really hard being the only person in a room, like an only person speaking for a whole group of people and... Yeah, we had a lot of conversations and we reworked that scene because it wasn't quite working as it was originally written because I think, you know, we needed we needed black women's voices in that, black American women's voices in that. So we kind of spoke to, I spoke to people I knew and asked for their advice to make the scene feel real for why she then stays to continue to be a part of the collective when it's so obvious that Virginia and Gwen don't understand each other. They don't, they're not actually speaking the same language. Virginia kind of, I don't know, she kind of brushes the Panthers and the black feminist movements away in a way. She thinks that they aren't, that they're they're talking about something that she doesn't quite understand. And Gwen understands it. And she's like, you know, (laughs) you're missing the point. It's not just about abortion for black women. It's about the fact that we are being murdered and, and, and killed. So abortion has another, another weight to it, but then also giving people who have, who want the choice. So it's really complicated. It's a really complicated um, argument that they're having. Very, very complicated. Uh, It was hard to, to get it succinct, but I think we got there. We can't change what it costs, Joy. It's economics. It's interesting how economics always seems to mean that black women get screwed. 
for screwing plenty of white women if that makes you feel any better. Please, can we not make this about race? Look around the room, Virginia. We are a bunch of white ladies, yes. You know that's not the intent. I don't care about intent. I care about results. You did not try hard enough with the Panther sisters, and then you insulted the Black Feminist Alliance. They were batshit, screaming at me about abortion and Black They are not batshit. knew you would do this. I just, how can you still be so oblivious? Black genocide? That is not batshit. I should not have used that word. How dare you? Come on, Gwen, we fucking marched together in Memphis. Oh, here we go again. Well, I don't know what to do about this. What do you want me to do? Pay for every black woman's procedure myself? Why not? Go for it. How did you prepare? You mentioned that you spoke to some women, but how did you prepare for playing Gwen in other ways? I just did my research about like the time period, Roe v. Wade. I just read a lot about the Janes. And now looking back, I think I went into it quite naively because I don't think I understood how the Supreme Court really worked. And so I went into this thinking it was a historical piece about a world where abortion wasn't legal in America, not thinking that it could ever be overturned. So I guess I didn't do enough research into the American systems, like political and structural systems where, cause I just did, I wasn't prepared for 2022 to happen. June, 2022, I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't. We were talking about it on set that it could, and I just didn't understand how, especially with Biden. I was like, how? How could this happen? And now I see how, and it's just, it's just horrific. It's terrifying, isn't it, that, that you're right, that it feels like a period piece, but it could not be more relevant now. Um, what are you hoping that audiences will take from this film? I hope that um, people who watch this film really support local abortion um, clinics and charities and you know Planned Parenthood. And I really hope that those institutions get the support they need to reach out to girls and women in in these states that abortion is now illegal. You know. I really hope that we don't have to return to a pre-Roe world of backstreet abortions, that people can get the support they need to get to safe states in order to get their um, body rights um, met and their choice and um, needs met. So yeah, I really hope that people really help so that no one feels like they have to go somewhere seedy and scary and alone and unsafe ever again. And I really, really hope people vote. I really hope that people go out and vote so that Roe v. Wade can be codified in law. I'm still understanding what that means, but I'm pretty sure that means it can't be overturned again. This film's coming out just before the election, and I just really, really hope that people go out and vote because that's the it's the only thing, it's the only weapon we have left. 
I think that that's one of the many messages of the film that's weaved in very elegantly there is that we can't rest on our laurels and not vote every every vote counts for sure um so we've been talking to phyllis and elizabeth in this episode as well of course would you like to speak about working with both of those wonderful women oh it was great i loved working with them both um the the set was you know it was it was challenging there were challenging conversations and they weren't easy and you know be like like i said being the only black woman in a room not easy and you know i felt like we had those conversations and um i was definitely supported by my cast members like Sigourney and Elizabeth and Phyllis and i we we worked on the scene to a, to get it to a place that felt more honest for Gwen. It was a challenge, but it was it was in a safe space. When you mentioned being, you know, the only black person in the room, is that something that you'd care to comment on in terms of your career to date and kind of meetings you've had and the film industry? Is is that a common occurrence? You know, I've been really, really lucky. I mean, the last few years, especially um, we own the city, Loki. Uh, Lovecraft Country. I've been really, really lucky um, and had some really inspiring black women to look up to and collaborate with and be supported by in all different areas of the shows, whether it's costume, makeup, everything, um, to showrunners and cast members. But, you know, it was different because it's been, it has been so diverse. But the truth of the story is, they weren't diverse. The Janes weren't diverse and the people they helped weren't diverse. So that's the truth. Until they were challenged and then they were diverse and then it was, you know, inclusive. So yeah, I mean, there's life imitating art isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially on a, on a topic like this, because um, it just puts a bit of fuel underneath me and everyone who's trying to who who are making this film for the right reasons it puts fuel in the tank I think are there any particularly favorite scenes um, of a lighter variety that you're in I mean one for me is um, when Gwen gets joy stoned (laughs) yeah and and I I, well I love the way that it shows your character loosening her character up basically yeah can you talk to me a little bit about that scene Elizabeth and I, we, we spoke a lot and we, we were together a lot. So it was just really easy and fun. And I mean, it definitely felt like a hot box in that car. <laughs> um, but honestly, any scene when all the Janes were together was pure joy. I really loved working with like Rebecca Henderson and Evangeline and, you know, we just got on so well. I honestly think one of, it's such a tiny little thing that no one really notices, but there's a bit where she's like, what's the password? And that was just the funniest scene because I mean, she just wouldn't let me in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She just wouldn't let me in. And I just love, I love Evangeline. She's just the sweetest. Um, Just little, little moments like that. I really, really remember as joyful moments. That's nice to hear because, you know, I got that impression talking to Phyllis and Elizabeth, but it's such a joyful film and there's such a wonderful sense of sisterhood on screen. It's wonderful. Um, 
Well, what's next for you? What will be coming out next is Alice Darling, um, which is a film about a woman in a coercive relation, controlling coercive relationships, played by Anna Kendrick. And I star alongside her and Ganya Dio. This kind of feels like a three-hander in a way. It's just three friends. I love the way it's told because you don't see the, the violence of a coercive relationship too much. You actually see the impact on the loved ones and, and, and her. It's kind of, I really like the way that they did that. Um, feel safer and actually more likely to open people's eyes rather than bombard them with aggression and, and abuse. Um, yeah, and then Loki, Loki season two. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Don't know when that's coming out. <laughs> they never tell me anything, Marvel. <laughs> We've got a top secret, I'm sure, over there. Yeah, even to you, crazy stuff. Well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be looking forward to all that. Um, and yeah, we hope we get you back on the Girls on Film sometime. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you about Cool Jane. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith, and I was joined by Phyllis Naj, Elizabeth Banks and Wumi Musaku to talk about Cool Jane. Thanks for listening. You can watch Cool Jane in UK cinemas from Friday the 4th of November 2022. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, producer Lydia Scott, audio editor Jenny Nelson and intern Ellie Hardy. Many thanks to our partners for this episode, Vertigo Releasing, and to you for listening. See you soon. You got a knack for this. Could have been a nurse. Could have been a doctor.